Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash Support for more information. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible Berry Chantilly Cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tonight, I will be reading two Japanese fairy tales from the book Japanese Fairy Tales, translated by Yei Theodora Ozaki. The Adventures of Kintaro, the Golden Boy, and the story of Urashima Taro, the Fisher Lad. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. The Adventures of Kintaro, the Golden Boy Long, long ago, there lived in Kyoto a brave soldier named Kintoki. 
Now he fell in love with a beautiful lady and married her. Not long after this, through the malice of some of his friends, he fell into disgrace at court and was dismissed. This misfortune so preyed upon his mind that he did not long survive his dismissal. He died, leaving behind him his beautiful young wife to face the world alone. Fearing her husband's enemies, she fled to the Ashigara Mountains as soon as her husband was dead. And there, in the lonely forests, where no one ever came, except woodcutters, a little boy was born to her. She called him Kintaro, or the Golden Boy. Now the remarkable thing about this child was his great strength. And as he grew older, he grew stronger and stronger, so that by the time he was eight years of age, he was able to cut down trees as quickly as the woodcutters. Then his mother gave him a large axe, and he used to go out in the forest and help the woodcutters, who called him Wonder Child, and his mother, the old nurse of the mountains, for they did not know her high rank. Another favourite pastime of Kintaro's was to smash up rocks and stones. You can imagine how strong he was. Quite unlike other boys, Kintaro grew up all alone in the mountain wilds. And as he had no companions, he made friends with all the animals and learned to understand them and to speak their strange talk. By degrees, they all grew quite tame and looked upon Kintaro as their master, and he used them as his servants and messengers. But his special retainers were the bear, the dare, the monkey, and the hare. The bear often brought her cubs for Kintaro to play with, and when she came to take them home, Kintaro would get on her back and have a ride to her cave. He was very fond of the dare too, and would often put his arms round the creature's neck to show that its long horns did not frighten him. Great was the fun they all had together. One day, as usual, Kintaro went up into the mountains, followed by the bear, the dare, the monkey and the hare. After walking for some time uphill and down dale and over rough roads, they suddenly came out upon a wide and grassy plain covered with pretty wild flowers. Here indeed was a nice place where they could all have a good play together. The dare rubbed his horns against a tree for pleasure. The monkey scratched his back. The hare smoothed his long ears. And the bear gave a grunt of satisfaction. Kintaro said, Here is a place for a good game. What do you all say to a wrestling match? The bear, being the biggest and the oldest, answered for the others. That would be great fun, said she. I am the strongest animal, so I will make the platform for the wrestlers. And she set to work with a will to dig up the earth and to pat it into shape. All right, said Kintaro. I will look on while you all wrestle with each other. I shall give a prize to the one who wins in each round. What fun! We shall all try to get the prize, said the bear. The dare, the monkey, and the hare set to work to help the bear raise the platform on which they were all to wrestle. When this was finished, Kintaro cried out, Now begin. The monkey and the hare shall open the sports, and the dare shall be umpire. Now, Mr. Dare, you are to be umpire. He he, answered the dare, I will be umpire. Now, Mr. Monkey and Mr. Hare, if you are both ready, please walk out and take your places on the platform. Then the monkey and the hare both hopped out 
quickly and nimbly to the wrestling platform. The dare as umpire stood between the two and called out, Redback, Redback. This is to the monkey who has a red back in Japan. Are you ready? Then he turned to the hare. Long ears, long ears. Are you ready? Both the little wrestlers faced each other while the dare raised a leaf on high a signal. When he dropped the leaf, the monkey and the hare rushed upon each other, crying, Yoisho, Yoisho. While the monkey and the hare wrestled, the dare called out encouragingly or shouted warnings to each of them as the hare or monkey pushed each other near the edge of the platform and were in danger of falling over. Redback, redback, stand your ground, called out the dare. Long ears, long ears. Be strong, be strong. Don't let the monkey beat you, grunted the bear. So the monkey and the hare, encouraged by their friends, tried their very best to beat each other. The hare at last gained on the monkey. The monkey seemed to trip up, and the hare, giving him a good push, sent him flying off the platform with a bound. The poor monkey sat up rubbing his back and his face was very long as he screamed angrily, Oh, how my back hurts. My back hurts me. Seeing the monkey in his plight on the ground, the dare holding his leaf on high said, This round is finished. The hare has won. Kintaro then opened his luncheon box and taking out a rice dumpling, gave it to the hare saying, Here's your prize and you've earned it well. Now the monkey got up looking very cross, and as they say in Japan, his stomach stood up, for he felt that he had not been fairly beaten. So he said to Kintaro and the others who were standing by, I have not been fairly beaten. My foot slipped, and I tumbled. Please, give me another chance, and let the hare wrestle with me for another round. Then, Kintaro consenting, the hare and the monkey began to wrestle again. Now, as everyone knows, the monkey is a cunning animal by nature, and he made up his mind to get the best of the hare this time if it were possible. To do this, he thought, that the best and surest way would be to get hold of the hare's long ear. This he soon managed to do. The hare was quite thrown off his guard by the pain of having his long ear pulled so hard, and the monkey, seizing his opportunity at last, caught hold of one of the hare's legs and sent him sprawling in the middle of the dais. The monkey was now the victor and received a rice dumpling from Kitaro, which pleased him so much that he forgot his sore back. The dare now came up and asked the hare if he felt ready for another round, and if so, whether he would try a round with him, and the hare consenting, they both stood up to wrestle. The bear came forward as umpire. The dare with long horns and the hare with long ears it must have been an amusing sight to those who watched this strange match. Suddenly, the dare went down on one of his knees, and the bear with a leaf on high declared him beaten. In this way, sometimes the one, sometimes the other, conquering, the little party amused themselves till they retired. At last, Kintaro got up and said, This is enough for today. What a nice place we have found for wrestling. Let us come again tomorrow. Now we will all go home. Come along. So saying, Kintaro led the way while the animals followed. After walking some little distance, they came out on the banks of a river flowing through a valley. Kintaro and his four furry friends stood and looked about for some means of crossing. Bridge, there was none. The river rushed, dawn dawn, on its way. 
all the animals looked serious, wondering how they could cross the stream and get home that evening. Kintaro, however, said, Wait a minute. I will make a good bridge for you all in a few minutes. The bear, the dare, the monkey and the hare looked at him to see what he would do now. Kintaro went from one tree to another that grew along the river bank. At last, he stopped in front of a very large tree that was growing at the water's edge. He took hold of the trunk and pulled it with all his might, once, twice, thrice. At the third pull, so great was Kintaro's strength that the roots gave way and crash, crash, overfell the tree, forming an excellent bridge across the stream. There, said Kintaro, what do you think of my bridge? It is quite safe, so follow me and he stepped across first. The four animals followed. Never had they seen anyone so strong before, and they all exclaimed, How strong he is! How strong he is! While all this was going on by the river, a woodcutter, who happened to be standing on a rock overlooking the stream, had seen all that passed beneath him. He watched with great surprise Kintaro and his animal companions. He rubbed his eyes to be sure that he was not dreaming when he saw this boy pull over a tree by the roots and throw it across the stream to form a bridge. The woodcutter, for such he seemed to be by his dress, marveled at all he saw and said to himself, This is no ordinary child. Whose son can he be? I will find out before this day is done. He hastened after the strange party and crossed the bridge behind them. Kitaro knew nothing of this at all and little guessed that he was being followed. On reaching the other side of the river, he and the animals separated, they to their lairs in the woods, and he to his mother, who was waiting for him. As soon as he entered the cottage, which stood like a matchbox in the heart of the pine woods, he went to greet his mother, saying, Okasan, here I am. O Kimbo, said his mother with a bright smile, glad to see her boy home safe after the long day. How late you are today. I feared that something had happened to you. Where have you been all the time? I took my four friends, the bear, the dare, the monkey, and the hare, up into the hills, and there I made them try a wrestling match to see which was the strongest. We all enjoyed the sport, and are going to the same place tomorrow to have another match. Now tell me who is the strongest of all, asked his mother, pretending not to know. Oh, mother, said Kintaro, don't you know that I am the strongest? There was no need for me to wrestle with any of them. But next to you, then, who's the strongest? The bear comes next to me in strength, answered Kintaro. And after the bear? asked his mother. Next to the bear, it is not easy to say which is the strongest, for the dare, the monkey, and the hare all seem to be as strong as each other, said Kintaro. Suddenly, Kintaro and his mother were startled by a voice from outside. Listen to me, little boy. Next time you go, take this old man with you to the wrestling match. He would like to join the sport too. It was the old woodcutter, who had followed Kintaro from the river. He slipped off his clogs and entered the cottage. Yamauba and her son were both taken by surprise. They looked at the intruder wonderingly and saw that he was someone they had never seen before. Who are you? they both exclaimed. Then the woodcutter laughed and said, It does not matter who I am yet. Let us see who has the strongest arm, this boy or myself. Then Kintaro, who lived all his life in the forest, answered the old man without any ceremony, saying, We will have a try if you wish it. 
but you must not be angry, whoever is beaten. Then Kintaro and the woodcutter both put out their right arms and grasped each other's hands. For a long time, Kintaro and the old man wrestled together in this way, each trying to bend the other's arm. But the old man was very strong, and the strange pair were evenly matched. At last, the old man desisted, declaring it a drawn game. You are indeed a very strong child. There are few men who can boast of the strength of my right arm, said the woodcutter. I saw you first on the banks of the river a few hours ago, when you pulled up that large tree to make a bridge across the torrent. Hardly able to believe what I saw, I followed you home. Your strength of arm, which I've just tried, proves what I saw this afternoon. When you are full grown, you will surely be the strongest man in all Japan. It is a pity that you are hidden away in these wild mountains. Then he turned to Kintaro's mother. And you, mother, have you no thought of taking your child to the capital and of teaching him to carry a sword as befits a samurai? You are very kind to take so much interest in my son, replied the mother. But he is, as you see, wild and uneducated, and I fear it would be very difficult to do as you say. Because of his great strength as an infant, I hid him away in this unknown part of the country, for he hurt everyone that came near him. I have often wished that I could one day see my boy, a knight, wearing two swords, but as we have no influential friend to introduce us at the capital, I fear my hope will never come true. You need not trouble yourself about that. To tell you the truth, I am no woodcutter. I am one of the great generals of Japan. My name is Sadamitsu, and I am a vassal of the powerful Lord Minamoto no Raiko. He ordered me to go round the country and look for boys who give promise of remarkable strength, so they may be trained as soldiers for his army. I thought that I could best do this by assuming the disguise of a woodcutter. By good fortune, I have thus unexpectedly come across your son. Now, if you really wish him to be a samurai, I will take him and present him to the Lord Raiko as a candidate for his service. What do you say to this? As the kind general gradually unfolded his plan, the mother's heart was filled with a great joy. She saw that here was a wonderful chance of the one wish of her life being fulfilled, that of seeing Kintaro a samurai before she died. Bowing her head to the ground, she replied, I will then entrust my son to you, if you really mean what you say. Kintaro had all this time been sitting by his mother's side listening to what they said. When his mother finished speaking, he exclaimed, Oh joy, I am to go with the general and one day I shall be a samurai. Thus, Kintaro's fate was settled. And the general decided to start for the capital at once, taking Kintaro with him. It need hardly be said that Yamauba was sad at parting with her boy, for he was all that was left to her. But she hid her grief with a strong face, as they say in Japan. She knew that it was for her boy's good that he should leave her now, and she must not discourage him just as he was setting out. Kintaro promised never to forget her, and said that as soon as he was a knight wearing two swords, he would build her a home and take care of her in her old age. All the animals, those he had tamed to serve him, the bear, the dare, the monkey, and the hare, as soon as they found out that he was going away, came to ask if they might attend him as usual. When they learned that he was going away for good, they followed him to the foot of the mountain to see him off. 
Kimbo, said his mother, mind and be a good boy. Mr. Kintaro, said the faithful animals, we wish you good health on your travels. Then they all climbed a tree to see the last of him, and from that height they watched him and his shadow gradually grow smaller and smaller till he was lost to sight. The general Saramitsu went on his way rejoicing at having so unexpectedly found such a prodigy as Kintaro. Having arrived at their destination, the general took Kintaro at once to his lord, Minamoto Norayiko, and told him all about Kintaro and how he had found the child. Lord Raiko was delighted with the story, and having commanded Kintaro to be brought to him, made him one of his vassals at once. Lord Raiko's army was famous for its band called the Four Braves. These warriors were chosen by himself from amongst the bravest and strongest of his soldiers, and the small and well-picked band was distinguished throughout the whole of Japan for the dauntless courage of its men. When Kintaro grew up to be a man, his master made him the chief of the four braves. He was by far the strongest of them all. Soon after this event, news was brought to the city that a cannibal monster had taken up his abode not far away, and that people were stricken with fear. Lord Raiko ordered Kintaro to the rescue. He immediately started off, delighted at the prospect of trying his sword. Surprising the monster in its den, he made short work of cutting off its head, which he carried back in triumph to his master. Kintaro now rose to be the greatest hero of his country, and great was the power and honour and wealth that came to him. He now kept his promise and built a comfortable home for his old mother, who lived happily with him in the capital to the end of her days. Is not this the story of a great hero? The story of Urashima Taro, the fisher lad. Long, long ago, in the province of Tango, there lived on the shore of Japan in the little fishing village of Mizunoye, a young fisherman named Urashima Taro. His father had been a fisherman before him, and his skill had more than doubly descended to his son, for Urashima was the most skillful fisher in all that countryside, and could catch more bonito and tai in a day than his comrades could in a week. But in the little fishing village, more than for being a clever fisher of the sea, was he known for his kind heart. In his whole life he had never hurt anything, either great or small, and when a boy his companions had always laughed at him, for he would never join with them in teasing animals, but always tried to keep them from this cruel sport. One soft summer twilight, he was going home at the end of a day's fishing when he came upon a group of children. They were all screaming and talking at the tops of their voices, and seemed to be in a state of great excitement about something, and on his going up to them to see what was the matter, he saw that they were tormenting a tortoise. First one boy pulled it this way, then another boy pulled it that way, while a third child beat it with a stick, and the fourth hammered its shell with a stone. Now Urashima felt very sorry for the poor tortoise and made up his mind to rescue it. He spoke to the boys. Look here, boys. You're treating that poor tortoise so badly that it will soon die. The boys, who were all of an age when children seemed to delight in being cruel to animals, 
took no notice of Urashima's gentle reproof, but went on teasing it as before. One of the older boys answered, Who cares whether it lives or dies? We do not. Hair boys, go on. And they began to treat the poor tortoise more cruelly than ever. Urashima waited a moment, turning over in his mind what would be the best way to deal with the boys. He would try to persuade them to give the tortoise up to him. So he smiled at them and said, I am sure you are all good, kind boys. Now won't you give me the tortoise? I should like to have it so much. No, we won't give you the tortoise, said one of the boys. Why should we? We caught it ourselves. What you say is true, said Urashima. But I do not ask you to give it to me for nothing. I will give you some money for it. In other words, the Oji-san will buy it off you. Won't that do for you, my boys? He held up the money to them strung on a piece of string through a hole in the centre of each coin. Look, boys, you can buy anything you like with this money. You can do much more with this money than you can with that poor tortoise. See what good boys you are to listen to me. The boys were not bad boys at all. They were only mischievous. And as Urashima spoke, they were won by his kind smile and gentle words, and began to be of his spirit, as they say in Japan. Gradually. They all came up to him, the ringleader of the little band holding out the tortoise to him. Very well, Uji-san. We will give you the tortoise if you will give us the money. And Urashima took the tortoise and gave the money to the boys, who calling to each other scampered away and were soon out of sight. Then Urashima stroked the tortoise's back, saying as he did so, Oh, you poor thing. Poor thing. There, there. You're safe now. They say that a stork lives for a thousand years, but the tortoise for ten thousand years. You have the longest life of any creature in this world, and you were in great danger of having that precious life cut short by those cruel boys. Luckily, I was passing by and saved you, and so life is still yours. Now I am going to take you back to your home, the sea, at once. Do not let yourself be caught again, for there might not be anyone to save you next time. All the time that the kind fisherman was speaking, he was walking quickly to the shore and out upon the rocks. Then putting the tortoise into the water, he watched the animal disappear and turned homewards himself, for he was tired and the sun had set. The next morning, Urashima went out as usual in his boat. The weather was fine and the sky and sea were both blue and soft in the tender haze of the summer morning. Urashima got into his boat and dreamily pushed out to sea, throwing his line as he did so. He soon passed the other fishing boats and left them behind him, till they were lost to sight in the distance, and his boat drifted further and further out upon the blue waters. Somehow, he knew not why, he felt unusually happy that morning, and he could not help wishing that, like the tortoise he set free the day before, he had thousands of years to live instead of his own short span of human life. He was suddenly startled from his reverie by hearing his own name called Urashima, Urashima. Clear as a bell and soft as the summer wind, the name floated over the sea. He stood up and looked in every direction, thinking that one of the other boats had overtaken him. But gazed as he might over the wide expanse of water, near or far, there was no sign of a boat, so the voice could not have come from any human being. 
startled on wondering who or what it was that had called him so clearly. He looked in all directions round about him, and saw that, without his knowing it, a tortoise had come to the side of the boat. Urashima saw with surprise that it was the very tortoise he had rescued the day before. Well, Mr. Tortoise, said Urashima, was it you who called my name just now? The tortoise nodded its head several times and said, Yes, it was I. Yesterday, in your honourable shadow, Okage Samade, my life was saved, and I have come to offer you my thanks and to tell you how grateful I am for your kindness to me. Indeed, said Urashima, that is very polite of you. Come up into the boat. I would offer you a smoke, but as you are a tortoise, doubtless you do not smoke. And the fisherman laughed at the joke. He he he, laughed the tortoise. Sake, rice wine, is my favourite refreshment, but I do not care for tobacco. Indeed, said Urashima, I regret very much that I have no sake in my boat to offer you, but come up and dry your back in the sun. Tortoises always love to do that. So the tortoise climbed into the boat, the fisherman helping him, and after an exchange of complimentary speeches, the tortoise said, Have you ever seen Rinjin, the palace of the dragon, king of the sea, Urashima? The fisherman shook his head and replied, No, year after year the sea has been my home, but though I have often heard of the dragon king's realm under the sea, I have never yet set eyes on that wonderful place. It must be very far away, if it exists at all. Is that really so? You have never seen the Sea King's palace? Then you have missed seeing one of the most wonderful sights in the whole universe. It is far away at the bottom of the sea, but if I take you there, we shall soon reach the place. If you would like to see the Sea King's land, I will be your guide. I should like to go there, certainly and you're very kind to think of taking me. But you must remember that I'm only a poor mortal, and have not the power of swimming like a sea creature such as you are. Before the fisherman could say more, the tortoise stopped him, saying, What? You need not swim yourself. If you will ride on my back, I will take you without any trouble on your part. But, said Hiroshima, how is it possible for me to ride on your small back? It may seem absurd to you, but I assure you that you can do so. Try it once. Just come and get on my back and see if it is as impossible as you think. As the tortoise finished speaking, Ueshima looked at its shell, and strange to say, he saw that the creature had suddenly grown so big that a man could easily sit on its back. That is strange indeed, said Ueshima. Then, Mr. Tortoise, with your kind permission, I will get on your back. Tokoisho, he exclaimed as he jumped on. The tortoise, with an unmoved face, as if this strange proceeding were quite an ordinary event, said, Now we shall set out at our leisure. And with these words he leapt into the sea with Urashima on his back. Down through the water the tortoise dived. For a long time these two strange companions rode through the sea. Urashima never grew tired, nor his clothes moist with the water. At last, far away in the distance, a magnificent gate appeared, and behind the gate, the long sloping roofs of a palace on the horizon. Yeah, exclaimed Urashima, that looks like the gate of some large palace just appearing. Mr. Tortoise, can you tell what that place is we can now see? 
It is the great gate of the Rimjin Palace. The large roof that you see behind the gate is the Sea King's Palace itself. Then we have at last come to the realm of the Sea King and to his palace, said Urashima. Yes, indeed, answered the tortoise. And don't you think we have come very quickly? And while he was speaking, the tortoise reached the side of the gate. And here we are. And you must walk from here. The tortoise now went in front and speaking to the gatekeeper said, This is Urashima Taro from the country of Japan. I have had the honour of bringing him as a visitor to this kingdom. Please show him the way. Then the gatekeeper, who was a fish, at once led the way through the gate before them. The red bream, the flounder, the sole, the cuttlefish, and all the chief vassals of the dragon king of the sea now came out with courtly bows to welcome the stranger. Urashima-sama, Urashima-sama, welcome to the sea palace, the home of the dragon king of the sea. Thrice welcome are you, having come from such a distant country. And you, Mr. Tortoise, we are greatly indebted to you for all your trouble in bringing Urashima here. Then turning again to Urashima, they said, Please, follow us this way. And from here the whole band of fishes became his guides. Urashima, being only a poor fisher lad, did not know how to behave in a palace. But strange though it was all to him, he did not feel embarrassed or ashamed, but followed his kind guides quite calmly where they led to the inner palace. When he reached the portals, a beautiful princess with her attendant maidens came out to welcome him. She was more beautiful than any human being and was robed in flowing garments of red and soft green like the underside of a wave and golden threads glimmered through the folds of her gown. Her lovely black hair streamed over her shoulders in the fashion of a king's daughter many hundreds of years ago and when she spoke her voice sounded like music over the water. Urashima was lost in wonder while he looked upon her and could not speak. Then he remembered that he ought to bow, but before he could make a low obeisance, the princess took him by the hand and led him to a beautiful hall and to the seat of honour at the upper end and bade him be seated. Urashima Taro, it gives me the highest pleasure to welcome you to my father's kingdom, said the princess. Yesterday you set free a tortoise, and I have sent for you to thank you for saving my life, for I was that tortoise. Now if you like, you shall live here forever in the land of eternal youth, where summer never ends, and where sorrow never comes. And I will be your bride, if you will, and we will live together happily forever afterwards. And as Urashima listened to her sweet words and gazed upon her lovely face, his heart was filled with a great wonder and joy, and he answered her, wondering if it was not all a dream. Thank you a thousand times for your kind speech. There's nothing I could wish for more than to be permitted to stay here with you in this beautiful land, of which I have often heard, but I have never seen to this day. Beyond all words, this is the most wonderful place I have ever seen. While he was speaking, a train of fishes appeared, all dressed in ceremonial trailing garments. One by one, silently and with stately steps, they entered the hall, bearing on coral trays delicacies of fish and seaweed, such as no one can dream of. And this wondrous feast was set before the bride and bridegroom. 
the bridal was celebrated with dazzling splendor, and in the sea king's realm there was great rejoicing. As soon as the young pair had pledged themselves in a wedding cup of wine, three times three, music was played, and songs were sung, and fishes with silver scales and golden tails stepped in from the waves and danced. Urashima enjoyed himself with all his heart. Never in his whole life had he sat down to such a marvellous feast. When the feast was over, the princess asked the bridegroom if he would like to walk through the palace and see all there was to be seen. Then the happy fisherman, following his bride, the sea king's daughter, was shown all the wonders of that enchanted land where youth and joy go hand in hand, and neither time nor age can touch them. The palace was built of coral and adorned with pearls, and the beauties and wonders of the place were so great that the tongue fails to describe them. But Urashima, more wonderful than the palace, was a garden that surrounded it. Here was to be seen at one time the scenery of the four different seasons. The beauties of summer and winter, spring and autumn, were displayed to the wandering visitor at once. First, when he looked to the east, the plum and cherry trees were seen in full bloom. The nightingales sang in the pink avenues, and the butterflies flitted from flower to flower. Looking to the south, all the trees were green in the fullness of summer, and the day cicala and the night cricket chirped loudly. Looking to the west, the autumn maples were ablaze like a sunset sky, and the chrysanthemums were in perfection. Looking to the north, the change made Urshima start for the ground was silver-white with snow, and trees and bamboos were also covered with snow, and the pond was thick with ice. And each day there were new joys and new wonders for Urashima, and so great was his happiness that he forgot everything, even the home he had left behind, and his parents and his country. And three days passed without his even thinking of all he had left behind. Then his mind came back to him, and he remembered who he was, and that he did not belong to this wonderful land, or the Sea King's palace. And he said to himself, Oh dear, I must not stay on here, for I have an old father and mother at home. What can have happened to them all this time? How anxious they must have been these days when I did not return as usual. I must go back at once without letting one more day pass. And he began to prepare for the journey in haste. Then he went to his beautiful wife, the princess and bowing low before her, he said, Indeed, I have been very happy with you for a long time, Otahime-sama, for that was her name, and you have been kinder to me than words can tell. But now I must say goodbye. I must go back to my old parents. Then Otohime-sama began to cry, and said softly and sadly, Is it not well with you here, Urashima, that you wish to leave me so soon? Where's the haste? Stay with me yet another day only. But Urashima had remembered his old parents, and in Japan the duty to parents is stronger than everything else, stronger even than pleasure or love. And he would not be persuaded, but answered, Indeed, I must go. Do not think that I wish to leave you. It is not that. I must go and see my old parents. Let me go for one day, and I will come back to you. Then, said the princess sorrowfully, there's nothing to be done. I will send you back today to your father and mother, and instead of trying to keep you with me one more day, 
I shall give you this as a token of our love. Please take it back with you. And she brought him a beautiful lacquer box tied about with a silken cord and tassels of red silk. Urashima had received so much for the princess already that he felt some compunction in taking the gift and said, It does not seem right for me to take yet another gift from you after all the many favours I have received at your hands. But because it is your wish, I will do so. And then he added, Tell me, what is this box? That, answered the princess, is the Tamate Bako, box of the jewel hand, and it contains something very precious. You must not open this box, whatever happens. If you open it, something dreadful will happen to you. Now promise me that you will never open this box. And Urashima promised that he would never, never open the box, whatever happened. Then bidding goodbye to his wife, he went down to the seashore, the princess and her attendants following him, and there he found a large tortoise waiting for him. He quickly mounted the creature's back and was carried away over the shining sea into the east. He looked back to wave his hand to the princess, till at last he could see her no more, and the land of the sea king and the roofs of the wonderful palace were lost in the far, far distance. Then, with his face turned eagerly towards his own land, he looked for the rising of the blue hills on the horizon before him. At last, the tortoise carried him into the bay he knew so well and to the shore from whence he had set out. He stepped onto the shore and looked about him while the tortoise rode away back to the sea king's realm. But what is the strange fear that seizes Urashima as he stands and looks about him? Why does he gaze so fixedly at the people that pass him by? And why do they in turn stand and look at him? The shore is the same, and the hills are the same. But the people that he sees walking past him have very different faces to those he had known so well before. Wondering what it can mean, he walks quickly towards his old home. Even that looks different. But a house stands on the spot, and he calls out, Father, I have just returned. And he was about to enter when a strange man came out. Perhaps my parents have moved while I have been away and have gone somewhere else, was the fisherman's thought. Somehow he began to feel strangely anxious, he could not tell why. Excuse me, said he to the man who was staring at him. Until within the last few days I've lived in this house. My name is Urashima Taro. Where have my parents gone, whom I left here? A very bewildered expression came over the face of the man, and still gazing intently on Urashima's face, he said, What? Are you Urashima Taro? Yes, said the fisherman. I am Urashima Taro. Ha ha, laughed the man. You must not make such jokes. It is true that once upon a time a man called Urashima Taro did live in this village, but that is a story three hundred years old. He could not possibly be alive now. When Urashima heard these strange words, he was frightened and said, Please, please, you must not joke with me. I am greatly perplexed. I am really Urashima Taro, and I certainly have not lived three hundred years. Till four or five days ago, I lived on this spot. Tell me what I want to know without more joking, please. But the man's face grew more and more grave, and he answered, You may or may not be Urashima Taro. I don't know. But the Urashima Taro of whom I have heard 
is a man who lived 300 years ago. Perhaps you are his spirit come to revisit your old home. Why do you mock me? said Urshima. I am no spirit. I am a living man. Do you not see my feet? And Don Don? He stamped on the ground, first with one foot and then with the other to show the man. Japanese ghosts have no feet. But Urshima Taro lived 300 years ago. That is all I know. It is written in the village chronicles, persisted the man, who could not believe what the fisherman said. Urshima was lost in bewilderment and trouble. He stood looking all around him, terribly puzzled, and indeed, something in the appearance of everything was different to what he remembered before he went away, and the awful feeling came over him that what the man said was perhaps true. He seemed to be in a strange dream. The few days he had spent in the Sea King's palace beyond the sea had not been days at all. They had been hundreds of years. And in that time his parents had died, and all the people he'd ever known, and the village had written down his story. There was no use in staying here any longer. He must get back to his beautiful wife beyond the sea. He made his way back to the beach, carrying in his hand the box which the princess had given him. But which was the way? He could not find it alone. Suddenly he remembered the box, the tomate bako. The princess told me when she gave me the box never to open it, that it contained a very precious thing. But now that I have no home, now that I have lost everything that was dear to me here, and my heart grows thin with sadness. At such a time, if I open the box, surely I shall find something that will help me. Something that will show me the way back to my beautiful princess over the sea. There's nothing else for me to do now. Yes, I will open the box and look in. And so his heart consented to this act of disobedience. And he tried to persuade himself that he was doing the right thing in breaking his promise. Slowly, very slowly, he untied the red silk cord. Slowly and wonderingly, he lifted the lid of the precious box. And what did he find? Strange to say, only a beautiful little purple cloud rose out of the box in three soft wisps. For an instant, it covered his face and wavered over him as if loath to go, and then it floated away like vapour over the sea. Urashima, who had been till that moment like a strong and handsome youth of twenty-four, suddenly became very, very old. His back doubled up with age, his hair turned snowy white, his face wrinkled, and he fell down dead on the beach. Poor Urashima. Because of his disobedience, he could never return to the Sea King's realm or the lovely princess beyond the sea. Little children, never be disobedient to those who are wiser than you for disobedience was the beginning of all the miseries and sorrows of life. Good night. <laughs>